Our gospel reading, that's where we're going to be landing on today, comes from Matthew chapter 4, starting in verse 12. It reads, When Jesus heard that John had been arrested, he left Judea and returned to Galilee. He went first to Nazareth, then left there and moved to Capernaum, beside the Sea of Galilee, in the region of Zebulun and Naphtali. This fulfilled what God said through the prophet Isaiah. In the land of Zebulun and of Naphtali, beside the sea, beyond the Jordan River, in Galilee, where so many Gentiles live, the people who sat in darkness have seen a great light. And for those who lived in the land where death cast its shadow, a light has shined. From then on, Jesus began to preach, Repent of your sins and turn to God, for the kingdom of heaven is near. One day, as Jesus was walking along the shore of the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, also called Peter, and Andrew, throwing a net into the water, for they fished for a living. Jesus called out to them, Come, follow me and I will show you how to fish for people. And they left their nets at once and followed him. A little farther up the shore, he saw two other brothers, James and John, sitting in a boat with their father, Zebedee, repairing their nets. And he called them to come too. They immediately followed him, leaving the boat and their father behind. Jesus traveled throughout the region of Galilee, teaching in the synagogues and announcing the good news about the kingdom. And he healed every kind of disease and illness. We have been talking about John the Baptizer for some time now. It's where we uh, begin our reading this morning. Let's just do a little recap. John the Baptizer, the slightly older cousin of Jesus, he's described by the Old Testament, by the Gospel writers, as the one shouting, the voice shouting in the wilderness. I like to think of John the the baptizer as the pivot point in all of redemption history. On one side, you have the Old Testament, the Old Covenant. On the other, you have the New Testament or the New Covenant. Remember what God said, Jesus said, I am making all things new. The pivot point being John the Baptist. I like to think he's like the, if you were to think about it metaphorically, he's the rumblings before the storm. Or, as Gandalf puts it, the deep breath before the plunge. (laughs) (laughs) So what is John doing? He is, obviously as his name denotes, he is baptizing. He's calling people to repentance. We see before in the, in the earlier scripture readings how Jesus came to him by the Jordan River. He was baptized by his cousin in the Jordan. John was preaching the good news. He was saying, repent, turn to God, for the kingdom of heaven is near. We've also talked about when he was in prison, uh, his fluctuations between the mountaintop faith that he had when he points to Jesus coming down to the river and says, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. 
talked about that before. And this clearly calls reference to the Paschal Lamb, the, the sacrificial lamb that Israel would, has been doing for millennia as a temporary atonement for their sins. This is what God has set up as far as the practices of atonement for his people for generation upon generation. They would have gotten that. So I wanted to bring up the map. The map. I found this amazing map. There it is. <laughs> of Galilee and of Judea. That's where we find ourselves in verse 12. It says, when Jesus heard that John had been arrested, he left Judea to the south, to the south and he went to Galilee to the north. We see these two regions. You guess, I guess you could call them, if you were to equate this to modern day um, America, you could call these two big regions almost as states, and w including their individual towns or cities. So in Judea, the green section, the bottom green section right here, we have um, some pretty big key players. We have Bethlehem, we have Jerusalem, the biggest of all. Up north in Galilee, that's the little grayish, bluish grayish section over there. Um, that's where he returns. There's Nazareth his hometown, and there's Capernaum, where we read about as well, um, just west to the Sea of Galilee. So Galilee, Judea, we've heard these names over and over and over again. We just came out of the season of Advent, where these two regions come up quite heavily. So it's always good to kind of put a face to the name, if you wanted to look at the map. Um, let's just recap a little bit. So with Advent, we have the birth story of Jesus. Mary and Joseph, hometown of Nazareth, up north. Then we have the decree that everybody must be registered, census is given. They need to go to Bethlehem, so they travel south to the region of Judea, near Jerusalem. Jesus is born. We have Herod the Great, which actually, this was kind of a happy accident. <laughs> I noticed that the key up in the, the top left corner, it actually gives the actual region, all these colored regions outlined by the red line, was all of the, um, the area in which Herod the Great uh, Rule. ruled. He was kind of like the, the puppet king of Rome for that, area. for that area. And of course, you know that once Jesus is born, the three magi, they go to Herod the Great, and he's a bit neurotic and psychotic and wants to kill Jesus. So Mary and Joseph being warned of a dream, they, of course, flee down to Egypt, which is not even on the map. It's way over there. Some time passes. We don't really know exactly how long, maybe 10, 12 years. Mary and Joseph get another vision from God. Herod the Great, the person who wanted to kill Jesus, is now dead. Things are safe. You can return home. Joseph, and it talks about this in the scriptures. I'm just recapping a little bit, summarizing. Joseph wasn't too keen about the area going back to Judea. Now, if you look at the key, it actually says, so when Herod the Great died, they split up the area of the rules in between his sons. 
So we have in the green, it denotes uh, Archelaus. Don't know if I'm pronouncing that right, but that's what we're going to go with. It says Joseph had some hesitations about Archelaus for whatever reason. Didn't really like that idea. Wanted to go back north and thought he would try his hand with Herod Antipas ruling. And so that's that gray section up there. They go back to their hometown of Nazareth, which is in the region of Galilee, which is that gray section above. So now some time passes. We have adult Jesus. We have the beginning of his ministry. He goes back down. Lots of Traveling. comings and goings in between these two regions. He goes back down to the region of Judea. You can see right in between Samaria and Perea, that is the Jordan River, right where John the Baptizer baptizes him. We hear in Scripture that he's led by the Spirit into the Judean wilderness for his 40 days of fasting and temptation. And so that's where we pick up our story today. He's still in the region of Judea. This is the very beginnings of Jesus' earthly ministry as far as redemptive history. So this is why we see in Matthew 12, when Jesus had heard that John the baptizer had been arrested, he left Judea and returned to Galilee. He went back north. So then at this point, John is in prison. Why is he in prison? Glad you asked. Uh, if we skip forward a little bit, to Matthew 14, we know that this region up here is controlled by Herod Antipas, Herod the Great's son. Um, so what it really happened was Herod Antipas had divorced his wife. Things didn't work out. He actually marries his half-brother's divorced wife, if you can kind of follow that. And John didn't really agree with those morals. John the baptizer is a bit of what I like to call a potster. Do you know anybody <laughs> like that? He, he stirs the pot. He pokes the bear a little bit. <laughs> gotcha. He calls people out. He tells it like it is. Um, and I don't think Herod Antipas really liked what he had to say. He threw him in prison. No. His um, wife didn't like it. That, wait, yeah, there's a lot, a lot of stories in there. Uh, this is the same John the Baptizer that at the time of Jesus' baptism, he sees the, the religious leaders of the day kind of watching from the side on the banks of the Jordan River, the, the Sadducees, the Pharisees. He calls them out and says, You brood of vipers which I think we've, we've actually seen as we were studying John the Baptist, John the Baptizer. So he likes, to, he likes to call people out on their hypocrisy about um, the things that they're doing wrong in a very vocal, loud, and um, almost obnoxious kind of way. So he is in prison. Skip over to verse 13. He went first, talking of Jesus, when he went back to the region of Galilee, to Nazareth, then left there and moved to Capernaum beside the Sea of Galilee. 
I like this. Where did he go first? Back he went home. home. He checked on mom. <laughs> That's great. He went to Nazareth, his hometown first. And then we hear of Capernaum. Now, this is the first time, I think, in his ministry that we hear of Capernaum. It actually is a, is a pretty important city. Um, it's right by the Sea of Galilee. I don't know if you can kind of read that, but just to the north of the Sea of Galilee there at the top of the Jordan River. Mm, I can't. Now, Capernaum was a big hustle and bustle city. It was a main commercial stop and a trade route between Damascus and Egypt. Lots of people, very buzzing. Um, big melting pot of all different types of people. Lots of non-Jewish people or uh, Gentiles, as the Bible says. Syria? Uh, a lot of merchants. Very, very busy. A lot of money-changing hands. Um, a busy city. And it's a very important city because we know from Scripture that Jesus executes actually more miracles and preached more in the surroundings of this city than any other. Capernaum? Capernaum. Huh. Jesus chose also many disciples from this area, like we later read in our scripture reading today. The fishermen, right? James, John, Simon, and Peter. And actually, he calls Matthew later, Matthew the tax collector from this region as well. Hmm. What's important about this? I don't know if you remember Peter, James, and John. This was Jesus' inner circle. This was, they were his right-hand men, the people that he confided in the most. Um, this was his, his, his close-knit group. Of course, he had the 12 disciples. He had many disciples, many who came and went. But these three, Peter, James, and John, that he calls from the area uh, by the Sea of Galilee, were his closest. These are the men that he took up the Mount of Transfiguration showed them his full, unbridled glory of God. Wow. Yeah. It also, uh, in the Gospel writings of Matthew, Mark, and John, refer to Capernaum as Jesus' home or <laughs> his own city. This is his new home base. This is where he sets up camp. This is where he does a lot of his ministry. Um, yeah. So let me skip down. We're going to jump around here a little bit today. Let's go down to verse 17. I'm going to make Wendy work a little bit. It says, From then on, Jesus began to preach, Repent of your sins and turn to God, for the kingdom of heaven is near. Why did he leave Judea? I don't know. To preach. There was a gigantic hole that was left when John the baptizer was put into prison, and Jesus knew it. He knew the importance of the work that God had called John to do, and he said, I'm going to get on board with that. I'm going to take up that baton. I'm going to continue this. This is very important work of my father. We see how important John was to Jesus uh, when he says later that 
John was more than just a prophet, but the greatest of all who have ever lived. Hmm. Why? Because of his work. Because of who he was, what he was doing, what he was saying, to whom he was leading people towards. Mm -hmm. We see a lot in scripture how people drop what they're doing. We see the, the fishermen joining Jesus. Mm -hmm. They drop what they're doing. It says in the scriptures immediately. They drop what they're doing because they recognize what Jesus, who Jesus is, what he's about, what he's doing, and they go and follow him. It's ironic that in this instance, Jesus actually drops and follows John. He continues what John the Baptizer is doing mm -hmm. in his ministry up in the region of Galilee. Repent of your sins and turn to God, for the kingdom of heaven is near. That's what we read in verse 17. If you want to stay on that, I want to go back just one chapter to Matthew chapter 3. I'll just read just a, a little bit of the beginning portions of it. It says, In those days John the baptizer came to the Judean wilderness and began preaching. His message was, Repent of your sins and turn to God, for the kingdom of heaven is near. Does that sound familiar? <laughs> Yeah. He continues yeah. it. <laughs> there, it is no coincidence that this is a literal copy and paste from what we see in Matthew 4, what Jesus is preaching. Turn and follow him is what John is preaching. And Jesus turns it into turn and follow me. me. Which is exactly what he actually tells his disciples by the Sea of Galilee. Mm -hmm. Come, follow me. Turn and follow me. Drop your nets and follow me. I'm doing something more important than fishing. Not only that, but I'm going to teach you how to fish, not for fish, but for people. I wanted to talk about this concept of biblical repentance. Um, it's diving into a little bit of theology, which uh, is kind of my favorite. I'm a bit of an armchair theologian. <laughs> nice. It just, it, it perks my interest a lot. Good. Repentance is actually, when we think of repent, when I think of repentance, I always think of that turning point in one's life when that come to Jesus moment, that turning of your life over dropping your old way of doing things, your old life following you and turning and following Jesus, that, that defining moment, which it's not always a defining moment for people, but, but it's actually rooted in the Old Testament. Literally, to repent is the Greek word Metanoio. It's made up of a prefix and a root. The prefix meta, which we actually use in the English language. I bet everybody has heard of meta 
morphosis, mm-hmm. meaning transformation. Transformation, exactly, to change or transform into something else, right? It literally means beside or after. And then you have the root, nous, literally means the mind. So we get, when we put them together, we get the mind afterwards, or changing of the mind. That's what repentance literally means in the original language in Greek. I started thinking about that, a change of mind. Um, I started thinking about what Paul was actually preaching in Romans 12, verse 2, saying, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. Taking your old way of thinking before following Christ and allowing God to change you by starting with your mind. Mm. Now, another way to think of it is the concept of regret or remorse. And this carries with it, I like it because it carries with it feelings and emotions. It it brings a little bit more gusto to it. Now, in Old Testament teachings, theologians have come up with two broad uh, ways of repentance in the Old Testament. One is called ritualistic repentance, and the other is called prophetic repentance. Let's take a look at ritualistic repentance first. That is, everybody knows what rituals are. The things, things we do, kind of common, repetitive things that we do. This is the religious and outward signs or rituals when Israel turned away from God. This is what God has set up, has put into place in regards to the remorse over their sin. These are the rituals, the practices, the actions, the things that the community of God did to restore peace and almost placate or satisfy, temporarily speaking, the wrath of God. Number one, we have a general fast, sometimes a national fast. In the Old Testament, Priests would gather the people of God together. They would call the assembly together. The people of God, the men, the women, the children, they would call for a fast. It was an outward sign to show the inner change, what was needing to happen in the hearts of God's people. Number two, something we see often it's the renting of your garments, the ripping of clothing is another sign. These are, these are outward signs. These things in and of themselves, they don't save you. They don't um, declare you righteous before God. But these are the rituals that expresses 
the heart change what's going on inside. The ripping of clothing. We see the utter grief that King David goes through in renting his garments over the grief over his uh, sick son, even unto death. We see multiple uh, examples of this in redemptive history. Number three, sackcloth and ashes. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I always think of like putting on a burlap sack, something very coarse and rough and uncomfortable. It's almost punitive in its action with this uncomfortable clothing. Again, another outward sign. We see Job when in the situation we find him, him in, in the beginning of his story, everything has been pretty much stripped from him. He doesn't know what to do. He doesn't know what's going on. He doesn't know why God is doing this. All he can do is put on a burlap sack and sit in an ash heap and think and contemplate. That would be rough. It is rough. Number four, we have the lament. This was a song or a dirge. You'd see a lot of times in a funeral procession in ancient Israel, you would have this group of, oftentimes it was women, they were wailing in their grief. This is the outward sign of this moment of grief as we remember the life of those who were lost. Jeremiah, the weeping prophet. We have the book of Jeremiah in the Old Testament, but we also have the book that he wrote, Lamentations, mm -hmm. where he cries over his people Israel, over the state the of their sin and their disobedience, their turning away from God and what God has for them, where God really wants them to be. Loud cries and wailings. So the other kind of biblical repentance we see in the Old Testament is called, that theologians mark, is called prophetic repentance. That's often when the repentance of God's people lacked authenticity. They did the signs, they went through the motions, they talked the talk, but if you look at their hearts, they were far from God. Prophets would pronounce judgment over Israel. You see it really plainly in Isaiah chapter 1. It says, listen to the Lord, you leaders of Sodom. Listen to the law of our God, people of Gomorrah. What makes you think I want all your sacrifices, says the Lord? I am sick of your burnt offerings of rams and the fat of fattened cattle. I get no pleasure from the blood of bulls and lambs and goats. When you come and worship me, who asked you to parade through my courts with all your ceremony? It goes on later. Wash yourselves and be clean. 
Get your sins out of my sight. Mm -hmm. Give up your evil ways. Learn to do good. Seek justice. Help the oppressed. Defend the cause of orphans. Fight for the rights of widows. These people of the margins that Eduardo has been teaching about a lot lately that I really enjoy. It's important. These are the outward signs that we see that something isn't right and that we are remorseful over our sin. Repentance. A literal change of mind and start going in another direction or way of doing. <clears throat> but it's not always just about ideas or concepts. It's about your worldview. Like, Will, you were talking about this morning. Who, what other people are gathering and singing right now in, in the world? Why do we do this? Why do we do the things that we do? Why do we gather corporately once a week? Why do we study God's word? Why do we pray? Why do we encourage one another? Why do we develop and put energy into these relationships with fellow brothers and sisters in Christ? What makes us tick? Why do we do the things that we do? Think the thoughts that we think? Or what is our heart motivation behind the way we live? It's your worldview, right? It's your core. It's your core. Now, Capernaum must have been a large Jewish, must have had a large Jewish community hmm. because we see that they had their own synagogue. It was actually placed there by, by Rome. It was a big melting pot in Capernaum. You have the Gentiles, you have the Jews, no matter who you are, what background you come from, you need to hear this story of repentance. When John the Baptizer was doing his work by the Jordan River, he was calling, at that time, it was right by Jerusalem, he was calling mostly Jews, people, the people of God, these people that God has called from generation upon generation to be his people, who these people needed to repent. And now we see in Capernaum, when we have more than just God's people, we have this big melting pot, this mixture of merchants, tax collectors, sinners, the righteous, everyone. The message is unchanged. Turn and follow him. No matter who you are, this message applies to you. So as we bring it home, how do you show a broken heart over sin? Mm -hmm. I think it's very difficult for us as the Christian church in America in 2023 um, to, sh to really show, have outward signs of 
this biblical concept of repentance, of this remorse over sin. Um, we don't always know how to show it because we don't do these Old Testament practices anymore as people of God. We don't sit on the ash heap. We don't don, we don't rent our clothes. We don't don the burlap sack. And we don't have parties of wailing. How do we show godly repentance? That's just something I wanted you guys to think about this week. Um, number one, are, are we remorseful over our sin? Actually, we can back it up even further. Maybe we can have this time of self-reflection. We can come to God. I know I do this personally. God, reveal this any wicked way in me. Reveal my sin. You might not even know it's there. And then once you, God realizes, God shows you, perhaps, how can we, what are the signs we can use to really show, okay, this is not what God has for me. Where can I turn and where can I follow? A good model, actually, if you want some homework this week, is to read Psalm 51. Yeah. This is the psalm. It's written by King David. This is the point in his life where he is confronted by the prophet Nathan over his sin over Bathsheba. Um, it's a pretty, pretty pivotal moment in his life. Yet God still calls him the man after my own heart. Mm. This doesn't define him. He calls it out for what it is. He is truly remorseful, I believe. And he looks to change his mind, his worldview, his way of thinking into following God. Mm -hmm. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this passage this morning. We thank you for John the Baptizer and his important and amazing work that you called him to do. So important that your son Jesus recognized this, dropped what he was doing, and went after it. He picked up the baton. He continued mm -hmm. in the message. The exact same message of John, which is, turn to you, repent, and turn to God, for the kingdom of heaven is near. Lord, we thank you for this message of John and your son Jesus. Let it stir in our hearts this week. Lord, reveal to us the ways in which, like the nation of Israel, we have gone astray. We have gone after our own ideas, our own way of doing things, our own desires. Show us your path.
show us what you have for us. The way of thinking, the worldview, the emotions, the direction that you really have for us. God, work a mighty work in our hearts. We love you. <laughs> we ask this in all your son's name, Jesus. Amen. Amen.